This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week 11 already of the college football season in the books. Week 10 of the NFL concluding tonight with Monday Night Football, Broncos versus Bills. So much to talk about. This was without a doubt one of the biggest college football season weeks of the season. So much to talk about. So much from a draft perspective. I came on last week and shared my updated rankings. I feel like there's already things that dramatically change watching all the games last weekend, and I'll kind of share those thoughts with you as well. Let's jump right into the NFL draft report for this week. Go right to the SS teams of the week. A lot of players I kind of want to talk about that I think there was a lot to dissect this past weekend. Let's start with first string quarterback of the week. That is Jaden Daniels out of LSU. They beat Florida. He throws for 372 yards and three touchdowns and then rushes for 234 yards and two touchdowns. It was one of the best performances I have seen from a quarterback at the college level in quite some time. I said last week that he, of all the quarterbacks I talked about in my top 10 or top 9, he was the one that had the greatest chance to move up. A performance like that, he already last week I said he was now in the round two mix. A performance like that, I think, catapults his draft stock to round one. You can make the case now, and I think it should be, Drake May and Caleb Williams, some way one and two. I still slightly prefer Shane Sanders long-term over Jaden Daniels. But it's hard, when I said last week, you could rearrange four through eight, four through nine for me. What I saw out of Jaden Daniels this week was was a guy who I think could be a starting NFL caliber quarterback at the next level. A guy who can bring to the NFL very much what Jalen Hurts brings. Aspects of what Lamar Jackson could bring. So I think Jaden Daniels has now put himself in the mix to be QB3 in this class. Because Shady Sanders, you know, not coming out. We'll talk a little bit about more about that, you know, in a second. And I think Jaden Daniels now, his... Accuracy to push the ball vertically down the field. It's playmaking ability. These are literally two of the traits you need to be able to do at the next level. The rest of the stuff you hope comes together. The processing, full field, full field reads. He's shown some of that. He's shown great development in that. But when you take the arm talent, the athleticism, the playmaking ability, the ability to push the ball vertically down the field with good ball placement and accuracy, you have a guy, I don't see a scenario anymore, or he's not in the round one mix. That was how impressive a performance it was by Jaden Daniels this past week. First string running back in the week, Blake Corum. Michigan, run-oriented, second-half game plan over Penn State. Blake Corum at the forefront of that, 145 yards and two touchdowns. Easily in the mix to be one of her three to five backs in this class. I think lock him in for day two. First string wide receiver of the week, I gave it to Jane Daniels' teammate, Brian Thomas. Six catches, 150 yards, and two touchdowns. I talked last week. He was a guy now in the mix, in the top 50 mix, second round mix. Could maybe even see his stock rise even higher. I don't see a scenario where he gets in my top five, but I think right after that, he's in the mix. Sixth, seventh, eighth best wide receiver in this draft class. 
working on a full deep dive of Brian Thomas. Another really impressive performance. And the first string tight end of the week, Bryson Nesbitt again, seven catches, 68 yards and a touchdown. Put a touchdown late in that game, showing it impressive ball skills, body control, and the ability to go up and get it in the end zone. Nesbitt is stacking really good performances week after week now. Very impressed with what we're seeing from Bryson Nesbitt. Uh, I think he's squarely in the mix now for day two. Uh, that's how it's been trending over the last couple of weeks. We take this to the second string team of the week. At the quarterback position, statistically, it wasn't as gaudy as some of the other numbers. But Drake May in that game against Duke, things that you want to see at the next level, composure, the ability to make big fourth quarter pros, big fourth down pros, third down pros, he was only 342 yards and a touchdown, but big plays all game, especially late, especially in overtime. I, I think now the margin, I don't know if there is a margin anymore. I said it last week. What I watched them both play this week, and every time I watch them both play back-to-back or something like that, Drake May is starting to impress me more than Caleb Williams. I didn't see a scenario. For me, it was a clear 1-2 in the summer. Then it was a 1A, 1B. But every week I watch them. And every week I, I, I dissect them and, and look at what I'm looking for. And to me, I think you can make the case that Drake May 1A, Caleb Williams 1B. It's going to go down to the wire. It, I, I might just call it a tie at some point. You know, but either one of these guys on the trajectory to be a potential franchise quarterback, I think they'll be the top two picks in the draft. I'd be stunned if they're not whether the teams that want the quarterback or teams that trade up, they're just too talented of prospects to not go one, two, even at the greatness of my next guy. I'll get to momentarily the second string wide receiver of the week, Marvin Harrison, another ridiculous performance, seven catches, 149 yards and two touchdowns as special of a prospect as he is. And listen, I think he's going to be a top five to 10 wide receiver by his second season. That's how special of a player he is. I think he's on the trajectory to be one of the best three to five wide receivers in all of football in very due t- very short time. But when you have a franchise quarterbacks like Caleb Williams, like Drake May, I think it's going to push Marvin Harrison. I don't see Marvin Harrison probably getting past third again, whether it's to a team that wants him, needs him, who, who couldn't use a Marvin Harrison, to be honest, or a team that makes an aggressive move up to go gather if another team wants to move back and wants O-line help or D-line help or edge rusher help, maybe there's a trade scenario there. But Marvin Harrison, special player. I skipped over second string running back of the week. I'm going to give it to Bucky Irving out of Oregon. 118 yards rushing on a touchdown, five catches, 43. Very multidimensional, versatile piece. I think he's probably a late round three to somewhere around four type prospect. But I think Bucky Irving for today's NFL, where it's committees galore, I think Bucky Irvin could be a better version of what of what Kyron Williams was doing for the Rams earlier this year. And Kyron was getting a heavy workload, but that's not ideal for him. I think Bucky Irvin could be a guy, 10 to 12 touches a week, could make an impact. I really am a fan of Bucky Irvin and what he can bring at the next level as that third down, change of pace type runner, pass catching back. And then second string tight end of the week could have been first string. Impressive performance from Cade Stover out of Ohio State. Seven catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Ohio State has had more production in the tight end position this year than all my years. I feel like covering college football pretty closely. And Kate Stover is continuing week in and week out 
to be really impressive, not only statistically, but also in terms of he blocks, play in line. That's not this, you know, I don't think Brock Bowers is going to be much used in line. Jatavian Sanders not going to be used much in line. Brayson Nesbitt, I don't think he's going to be used much. Cade Stover could be the best all-around tight end prospect in this class. That'll pencil him for day two for sure when it comes to draft season. Some other guys I just want to talk about because there were so many guys that stood out this week. Bo Nix, his performance over USC, 412 yards, four touchdowns. I'll continue to say, I think Bo Nix is ticketed for round two. Could a team fall in love with him and push him up in the round one? I don't think it's crazy. Michael Paddings Jr., impressive performance, 330 yards, two touchdowns, very, very good, versus a very good Utah defense. Michael Paddings now has beat Utah and Oregon, has Washington undefeated. I think he's another guy. Round two. Could a team fall in love and push him up in the round one? Maybe, but I think talent is more round two. We'll see. Still have some concerns about handling pressure, playing off structure. But man, when he has the time, the accuracy, the ball placement, understanding reading coverages, progression reading, fighting second and third reads, Michael Panks Jr. shows it all. A couple other things. Talked about it before. Uh, Dan Sanders came out last week and said both his son, Shadu and Shiloh, were going to come out together. I think that means 2025 is where that's ticketed. We'll see if that changes, but I think that's the plan right now. I, I always thought that was the plan. Talked about Tyler Van Dyke sneaking into like my top 11 or top 12 last week. He was benched last week, did not play in that game against Florida State, came in on the final drive for an interception. If he's being benched, again, doesn't speak volumes about you know NFL teams thinking you're going to invest you know a top 100 pick on a guy who can't even keep his job at college. We'll see if he... You know, things about the transfer portal, you know, or or, or what goes on with, with Tyler Van Dyke. J.J. McCarthy game. Talked about it last week. Very polarizing prospect. A lot of people that I respect tremendously think he's a round one prospect. I have never seen anything to think round one. I think he, to be honest with you, I, I look at him and I think more round two, late round two, round three. But I've been waiting to see where am I missing something? Have I not seen the right games? Am I, you know, without having, you know, access to some of these people have, what am I missing about J.J. McCarthy? That makes me think I don't see franchise quarterback. I, I don't even know if I see, you know, Mac Jones or, or Kenny Pickett. You know, I don't see Daniel Jones, like when I watch him play, like in terms of even just the physical traits at times, you know, in, in certain aspects of it. I see a good player. So I was really ready to watch him this past week against Ohio State. And then they only let him throw the ball eight times, seven of eight. They just didn't need him. And I could come on here and say, well, does that speak volumes about they don't trust them? Yeah. Listen, I, I thought about that a little bit on Saturday when I was watching the game. How much must you really trust your player and not even be willing to throw it all and literally have a game plan that the Giants choose against the Jets when Tommy DeVito came in? But it was also, it, work, it was working. They needed the victory. They were playing without their head coach. You know, so there was a lot of factors that went into that. I still think J.J. McCarthy, for me, is a day two guy. I prefer Jaden Daniels. I prefer uh, I prefer Michael Paddock Jr. I can make the case for Bo Nix, other guys ahead of him. But I'm going to still wait and see. I think Michigan's going to the college football playoff. I think they're going to beat Ohio State. Let's see how he does against Ohio State. They're not going to be able to sit there and, and hide him. Let's see how he does in the playoff. George is beatable this year. Can Michigan take him down? Can J.J. McCarty have a big game? I'm leaving the window and the door open 
because oh, a lot of tremendous people I respect think he's around one guy. I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting for these games against some of these teams that he has on the schedule left and what I think will be in the playoffs as well to kind of to reserve judgment on J.J. McCarthy until I see him. Like Because right now, I don't see around one guy. I see him being a guy that teams would look at, maybe push into round one. And when you push guys into round one, you get the Patriots with Mac Jones. You get the Giants with Daniel Jones. Uh, you get the Steelers with Kenny Pickett. I didn't think any of those guys were round one caliber quarterback. They all went round one. I understood why they went round one for the most part because teams are desperate. They fall in love with guys. They don't want to wait to another year. But you watch what Jaden Daniels has done at LSU. You watch what Drake May does with an inferior UNC uh, UNC team. You watch Caleb Williams with not a great supporting team around him. And I don't... Uh, would J.J. McCarthy do that if he was there? Because I know if... Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Jane Daniels were in Michigan, they'd be stars still. And maybe even better with that run game and that old line. I don't know if in reverse, if J.J. McCarthy was asked to do that much more, he'd be able to rise up and, and carry LSU in these games that are shootouts. He'd be able to keep USC competitive when their defense lets up 40 to 60 points a game. You know, I, I don't know. He'd be able to, you know, play with a, a, a cast of supporting cast that, Drake May does and and elevate them and and win games and stay competitive and get I don't know I I don't see it with JJ McCarthy yet, uh, but I'll continue to reserve judgment uh, to see if he belongs in that round one tier until I see the whole season kind of play itself out. At the running back position, Jonathan Brooks I talked about him. His stock is continues to soar, 104 yards and two touchdowns this past week over TCU. Like I said, I think he's squarely in the mix for round five. A name that I've been talking about for two years. Big week this week for Rasheen Ali at a Marshall. 165 yards and three touchdowns. He's up to 932 yards and 14 touchdowns. He's a really good receiver as well. And two senior running backs I needed to talk about based on their performances this week. Uh, Cody Schrader out of Missouri, 205 yards and a touchdown. He's got 1,124 yards and 11 touchdowns. The five foot nine, 214-pound senior. And RJ Harvey out of UCF. 206 yards and three touchdowns. And UCF takes down number 15 ranked Oklahoma State. He's got 1,082 yards and 12 touchdowns this year. Another senior, five foot eight, 195 pounds. Really impressive performances. Amazing seasons from them too right now. Uh, I want to get some film on them and, and take a look and see if those are guys, either one of them that, that could be in the mix to be draftable at the next level. At the wide receiver position, uh, I want to mention Xavier Leggett. He's a guy who's been consistently uh, producing this year for South Carolina. Nine catches, 120 yards. He's up to 59 catches, 1,993 yards, and five touchdowns. Six foot three, 227 pounds. I've watched a decent amount of Leggett. Going to get him in the Scotty Notebook as well. I think he's a guy who's squarely in the mix for, for round three. Uh, so he's a really intriguing prospect that could sneak into day two. Continue to be impressed with Des Walker out of UNC. Drake May's number one guy. Seven catches, 162 yards there. Before we take this over to a real short Debbie slant, I I will want to comment that the All-Star Games now being open for juniors, I really think is a game-changing type thing. I do feel a little bit bad for some of the seniors that might get squeezed out of this, but what I hope it does is I hope it elevates, you know, the Shrine Bowl to be even bigger. I hope it elevates the NFLPA Bowl to be even bigger 
Because what's going to end up happening is if a lot of these underclassmen end up getting to the senior bowl, it's going to it's going to push some guys out of the senior bowl that would normally be there. And then I think you're going to see the Shrine Bowl have better players and more draftable players. And the NFLPA Bowl have more draftable players. And that's a good thing. More attention. What I would say is there's like overlap between the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl that never used to be there. I think they got to get rid of that. They need to kind of stand alone. And I think you need to almost have these at three separate weeks now. Once the, once the season is kind of winding down, I almost think you got to have three separate weeks of these, the NFLPA Bowl, the Shrine Bowl, the Senior Bowl, because there's going to be a lot of really good prospects that are ending up at each of these different, you know, college all-star games. And I noticed some other ones I'm forgetting as well. But but I think it's a good thing. I think NFL teams getting more access to these underclassmen prior to the combine uh, and stuff like that. I think that these all-star games really uh, give better access to players. It's a reason why we see so many teams draft players that they coach at the Senior Bowl or, you know, guys they really got to meet at the Senior Bowl and then again at the combine at multiple times. They just get to know the player better, the person better, not just the player. Uh, so I think it's a really good thing. I think it makes the all-star circuit so much more fun now. We'll see how many of these underclassmen, a lot of these underclassmen juniors uh, are really near the top of the draft. So sometimes they just cho- they would they might just choose not to do anything. So that'll be something, a little bit of a buzzkill. But I think it just opens up that you'll get enough guys, even if it's a lot of day two guys and late round one guys who maybe think they could elevate their stock, get to one of these all-star games, impress. Unless you're a top five or top 10 lock pick, then maybe you don't go and perform or whatever, but go to one of these all-star games. So it's going to be fun that there's now going to be even more highly regarded, high-rated prospects at these all-star games for sure. Next up, if we take this to the Debbie Slant, only guys I really want to talk about this week. Drew Lar was supposed to be the next big underclassman quarterback. I have watched him play multiple times this year. There is nothing in his game right now that reminds me anything of Caleb Williams, Drake May, or the previous, you know, top-level quarterback prospects that we had. He's he's an intriguing prospect. He's got traits for sure. But I think the underclassmen quarterbacks, who are non-draft eligible, I should say, are really the weakest batch right now that we've seen in quite some time. Like, we knew Caleb Williams was coming. We knew Drake May was coming. You know, we knew Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields in that draft class were coming. Who is the next wave that we feel really strong about of saying they're the guys who are guaranteed to be in the mix next year, top five, top ten? I don't see it for Drew Lar. I don't see it with Klubnik from Clemson. I don't see it, you know, with, I think, Wagman from Texas A&M. These were the guys that were supposed to be the guys. So, yeah, Shady Sanders coming back to school. I think makes the 2025 class at least have him. And I think he's on the, he's the betting favorite right now to be the number one quarterback in the 2025 NFL draft. And I'm not sure anybody else right now, I feel even close to saying top five, top 10. I will say all year, I've continued to be impressed with Jalen Milrow out of Alabama this past week, 234 yards and three touchdowns. Every week, you just see him making new plays, handling pressure better, buying time in the pocket, moving around the pocket, manipulating the pocket, running when he needs to. I think Jalen Milrow is going to be a star for Alabama. He'd be the guy I'd be very intrigued with in a Debbie setting 
to get him on my team now. So that would be a guy right now that I'd be very intrigued with uh, from that. Let's take this over to the NFL side. Recap this past week, week 10 in the books, except for Monday Night Football. Let's do a little bit NFL rookie report. Let's start with C.J. Stroud again at the quarterback position. I don't know what more there is to say. The reason why teams take shots at the quarterback position, the reason why even if you have a good starting quarterback, you should constantly be looking at the next quarterback prospects coming up down the pike and in the draft because it's a league where, for the most part, if you don't have Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens, the Jalen Hurts, the Joe Burrows, and maybe on the you know you know on the next step or the next tier, Justin Herbert with all the physical traits. Maybe I'm missing somebody. If you don't have that level of quarterback play, you need everything else to be perfect. You need everything to be pristine. You need great coaching. Now, listen, we'll see if Brock Purdy can do it. And I'll talk about Brock Purdy in a little bit again. But Brock Purdy is in that unique scenario. Everything was perfectly set up for Matthew Stafford, who's a very good quarterback, but I don't think he's a guy who elevates. We started in Detroit. He could never elevate Detroit to be a great team. But he had a perfect scenario there with the Rams. Great offense, great coaching, elite pass rusher and Aaron Donald. You know, they had other good defensive players that year too. Perfect storm. But who else? You don't, If you don't have one of those guys, it's hard to be a consistent winner at the next level. So that's why teams take shots. But you've got to think they have a high ceiling. That's the key. C.J. Stroud is showing the difference that a high-level prospect can make on a, on a franchise. Guys that I respect tremendously who, who do the Big Blue Panther Giants podcast, they were talking about, you look at the Texans roster and the Giants roster, even with, even with a lot of the injuries the Giants have had this year. Is the Texans roster really that much better than the Giants roster? Houston has been decimated with O-line injuries. Giants have been decimated with O-line injuries. Nico Collins is a good young receiver. I think that was a rookie. Bit explosive. The Giants have better defensive players than the Texans do. But the difference? CJ Shroud is playing out of his mind as a rookie. Everything we saw in that Georgia game, when he faced Georgia, and he showed the ability to handle pressure, the ability to play off structure, make throws on the run, we're seeing it from CJ Shroud every single week. This week, taking his team, going on the road, into Cincinnati, another game-winning drive, bringing his team back. We just continue to see it. He's been the complete package. If you're a Carolina Panther fan, you got to be sick to your stomach watching what C.J. Stroud has done for the Texans, what Anthony Richardson was doing for the Colts pre-injury. I'm not ready to give up on Bryce Young. He was my number one quarterback. I liked him. But you're seeing issues with Bryce Young pop up. We'll see if they're correctable. We'll see if he's got a better team around him. But I'm not sure we ever thought C.J. Stroud was going to be as good as he is right now. So it's hard for me to think Bryce Young is ever even going to reach what C.J. Stroud is right now. Because C.J. Stroud is playing at a really high level right now as a rookie with a pretty weak supporting cast. Been remarkable what C.J. Stroud has done. And the Texans deserve all the credit in the world. I crucified them when they moved back up to get Will Anderson 
because I was worried they were going to be giving away a top three pick the following year. But now, when you answer the quarterback position, you can do things like that. And then they got their their uh, you know top level pass rusher as well, so they got both. And we already see how dramatically it's changing the culture and everything about the Texans. The running back position, the top two guys we talk about them every week: B.J. Robinson, Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs, even with David Montgomery back in the mix, 14 carries, 77 yards and two touchdowns, three catches, 35 yards. There's enough to go around there. I think Jameer Gibbs is going to settle in to be a 14 to 16 touch player. That's where I think this is going. Some weeks it'll be a little more, some weeks it'll be a little less. But in those 14 to 16 touches, you're going to see impact on an Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara type level. I always come from the Eckler because I thought the body type was way more Austin Eckler than I thought it was Alvin Kamara. I think the Kamara was more usage-based. But either way, that's what Jameer Gibbs is going to be. It's going to be fun to watch him play in that Lions offense. B. John probably got a little bit heavier of a workload, 106 total yards and a touchdown. Hopefully they continue to feed B. John the ball. Hopefully there's a coaching regime there, change, so we can maybe get more usage from their lead playmakers that they invested top 10 picks on. Sure, talked about Tank Dell slightly before. Six catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown. Did have to leave the game for injury, came back in. I mean, what is there to say about Tank Dell? I mean, if you're re-ranking the wide receivers from this draft class, it's intrigue at the top. You got Puka Nakua. You got, you know, Jordan Addison. You got Zay Flowers. You got Tank Dell. You got Jackson Smith in the Jigba. I understand where he was before the draft, but are we still so sure that Tank Dell's not going to be a better player than Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, even Jackson Smith in the Jigba? Right now, in fantasy, it's not even a no-brainer. You should want Tank Dell over Quinton, you know, Quinton Johnson. It's not even close in my eye. I, I had my reservations about Quinton Johnson coming into the league. Those those reservations are exponentially of increase with his inability to be a weapon and a continuous factor for a team that is desperately in need of another playmaker. Uh, he could still turn around and be a productive player. I think Tank Dell could be a really game-breaking type player uh, that has really good route running ability, ability to win vertically, his size, and he can play outside. It's tremendous. Uh, Michael Mayer had a really nice touchdown catch last night, showing great ball skills inside the end zone. I think we'll start to see Michael Mayer by next year develop into more of a consistent fantasy asset and and really you know continue to make this tight end draft class from last year a really special class with Laborda, with Kincaid, with Mayer, and I also think Luke Musgrave, once things get settled there in Green Bay, also very high upside and ceiling as well. If we take this to close out the night with the Dynasty report, similar to last week, I'm going to hit on some buys and sells. Okay, so I have a couple, I have three buys for the week and three sells for the week. Uh, the buys. Let's start with the buys first. At the quarterback position, I mentioned before, Brock Purdy. I, t- I talked about last week, how or the week before, just how weak Dynasty quarterbacks are right now the question marks are really long when you consider, yeah, we have Mahomes, we have Allen, we have Hurts, we have Lamar, we have Burrow, we have Herbert, we have Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud. And then if you want to say, okay, still, are we sure Trevor Lawrence is going to be great? Because I'm starting to have a lot of concerns about that. Tua, we know he plays great in, you know, against inferior opponents. It seems like Miami struggles when they face better defenses. We know he's got the concussion concerns. But like, and then there's Kyler Murray, who just came back this past week, and I told you to buy him last week. But after that, question marks. I think Brock Purdy's locked in for a while to be the 49ers starter. They're not going to 
try to do the the big trade up again. That backfired in them. They're gonna they're too good of a team. So I think Brock Purdy's gonna be a guy who could be a reliable low quarterback one to mid quarterback two, but he is still is a guy that people just are like it eh, on when it comes to fantasy. So if you're in a two quarterback league or you're in a one quarterback league, but maybe you don't have just a, a solid starter, I think go you could try to get Brock Purdy would be an interesting guy. And if you're in a two quarterback league, I really would be aggressive in going to get him. I think he's a rock solid guy that you could have as your second quarterback as you strive to try to find, or 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 if you have one of those elite guys at the top who the dual guys, uh, or, or guys who put up the staggering passing numbers. Next buy, two tight ends. Won't cost a lot, but Trey McBride and Jake Ferguson are two guys that I think are on the trajectory. I think Trey McBride has got top eight-ish upside. When you talk about the tight end position, when you look at the, the top eight or so guys, you know, you still have Kelsey Andrews, Hawkinson, Stoplin Pitts there. You got Laporta, you got Goddard, you got Kincaid, you got Kittle. So I think you can make the case right now, Trey McBride is in the mix to be as high as nine on that list. We sure we want Pat Fryer over him, Evan Ingram over him, Luke Musgrave and Michael Mayer have to show that they belong up there, David Njoku. So I think you can make the case that, uh, that Trey McBride is somewhere on the trajectory of maybe being a top eight to top 12 tight end right now in Dynasty. And let's see if he can continue to work his way into the mix. I mean, he was a second round pick last year. He was the number one tight end in that class. He has played phenomenal when get, been given opportunities. And now with them, you know, with that guards get injured, we've seen those opportunities and he has really shined for sure. Uh, and then Jake Ferguson, listen, Dallas continues to get production out of the tight ends. We see it every single week. I think he's going to be the guy that I know they drafted Luke Schoonmaker, and I think that's what will keep Jake Ferguson's value down and why he will be easier to buy than Trey McBride because I just look at Jake Ferguson, and I think he's going to be a guy just like Dalton Schultz was there. Guy who's going to produce low tight end one numbers to high tight end two numbers, and I, he doesn't cost a lot, and I don't think his dynasty value would be hard to get because... People are still thinking Luke Schoonmaker is going to take that job. I'm not sure he is. Most of their collegiate careers, Jake Ferguson was more highly regarded in terms of his pass catching ability than Luke Schoonmaker. Teams won two tight ends. Listen, the Jaguars drafted Brenton Strange late round two after they gave Evan Ingram big money. So it happens. So buy those two tight ends. And as for myself, I think Damian, I, I could see Houston, but hitting the quarterback position, still having a lot of cap dollars. I could see them either being aggressive for a free agent running back, maybe Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, somebody like that, okay? Or I could see them invest a day two pick in a running back to either complement or supersede Damian Pierce. We started having Singletary have a great week this week. Damian Pierce has been losing work here or there this year. The running back position in Dynasty and in, in Fantasy in general is weak. If people are valuing Damian Pierce as like, RB16 to RB20 in Dynasty, I think I'd get out now. I'd get out now, see what I can get for him. And then on the other side, three more cells, all young wide receivers who once upon a time were super highly regarded. If anybody is still valuing Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, or Elijah Moore, in any way, shape, or form as intriguing, I'd sell them all. And it pains me to say on Kadarius Tony, Pains me to say on Elijah Moore, I was never a Sky Moore guy. But if you can get a, a late round two rookie pick, I might even take an early round three rookie pick in, for some of these guys. 
Elijah Moore has now fallen behind Cedric Tillman on the depth chart. The Jets gave him away. The Browns hooked him up that they wanted to make an integral part. It didn't happen. The Chiefs wanted Kadarius Tony to be a big weapon. The Giants, who desperately need playmakers, shipped him out. And at the time, I thought it was a terrible decision because of the upside and talent. But if Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs can't get Kadarius Tony the mental side of it, of learning the playbook and being reliable, then who's going to do it? He's going to show bits and pieces here and there, but he can't even play 30% of his snaps for a team that is in dire need of wide receiver production. And then Sky Moore, the Chiefs wanted him to be a thing. The Debbie and the Dref Twitter community wanted him to be a thing. The fantasy community wanted him to be a thing. He hasn't been able to seize the role now for two years. If you can get a, a second, a late second round rookie pick for any of these guys, take it. If you can get an early to mid round three rookie pick, I think I'd still take it and then use that as other ammo to maybe move up in the second round or, or whatever, or trade for an older veteran or whatever, that will be better than what production you're getting from these guys. So there it is, guys. Fantasy Dynasty Report, NFL Rookie Report, Quick Debbie Slant, and an in-depth NFL Draft Report for this week. If you're enjoying the content, please get over to the website, rate, review, to subscribe. Please get over to wherever you listen to your podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. Get over to the website, easiest way, sdsfootball.com. Check out our premium content tab. And for $9.99, you get access to all of our premium notebooks, all of our premium content. It is the best way to support the show and help continue to do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday. So, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>